Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. May it illuminate our hearts and minds this morning. For your glory we pray. Amen. Choices have consequences, don't they? And some choices have dire consequences. Let me tell you about Rob Hall. Some of you might already know Rob's story. Rob uh, is a Kiwi guy. He grew up in Christchurch. Through his teenage years, he wanted to become a mountaineer, so he did a lot of climbing and practice and all this. And by the time he was 29, Rob had already climbed the seven highest peaks in the world. 29 years of age, already done that. Achieved his goal, and so he thought, I'm going to turn my attention to helping others climb the highest peak in the world, Mount Everest. And so by the time it was 1996, Robert already helped uh, 39 people. So he founded his own company and helped 39 people get safely to the top of Everest and safely down. People from all around the world wanted to climb with Rob Hall, and mainly because he had a really good reputation of not just helping people get to the top, but getting people safely back down. Uh, But on the 10th of May, 1996, he made some choices that had dire consequences. A group of 10 climbers at midnight on the 10th of May set off uh, from Camp 5, like the closest camp to the summit, and uh, everything was going really smoothly until they reached the famous Hillary Step. The Hillary Step is like about 200 metres from the top, and it's this sheer vertical wall of about 15 metres of ice. Usually there's ropes and things to help the climbers get up there, but this day there was none. So it actually it delayed the group a long while, uh, and, and by 2 o'clock, still some people were getting to the top of the Hillary Step. You see, 2pm was Rob Hall's turnaround time. Every other time he'd climbed Mount Everest, he would turn climbers around wherever they were up to. But this day, he and a few other climbers didn't turn around. They decided to keep going, to push to the top. By 5pm, he and one other climber were still on the top of Mount Everest when this fierce blizzard hit. It was a complete whiteout. They couldn't see anything. They were low on oxygen and a long way from help. Tragically, Rob Hall and this climber died on Mount Everest. And one of the main reasons was probably that he didn't turn around at 2pm. See, choices, that choice for him had a dire consequence. I wonder... What choices have you made? Choices don't always end up in dire consequences, do they? Choices can turn out well. uh, But sometimes, you know, choices we make do blow up in our face, don't we? In hindsight, we can go, actually, that was a terrible choice that I made. And the situation we come to this morning is that we see Adam and Eve had made a choice which resulted in terrible consequences. Over the past few weeks, we've seen, as we've looked at this opening part of the Bible, God create the world and it was beautiful. And good, and he made man and woman to rule under him in relationship with him. In this beautiful creation, God gave Adam and Eve a paradise of yes with one command of no. But Adam and Eve chose that one command of no, and they decided to turn their back on God and his word, and they wanted to be the God of their own lives. They chose the one command of no against a paradise of yes. They turned their back on the God who made them and loved them and all the goodness that came with the relationship with him. And this this wanting to be God of our own lives is what the Bible calls sin. And when you turn your back on God, 
he turns his back on you in judgment of your sin. And that's, that's what we're looking at this morning. We're, lo- we're going to delve into what are the consequences for the choice they made. What are the consequences for turning your back on God? And this passage that we just got read out from Genesis 3 is kind of structured in, in three ways as the judgment's handed down onto the three parties that turn their back on God. So firstly to the, to the serpent, then to the woman and the man. And we're going to think about what are the consequences handed down to each. And we're going to see three things and then we're going to see one surprise this morning. We're going to see, firstly, that work is fraught and frustrated. We're going to see, secondly, relationships are broken. And then, thirdly, we're going to see that death reigns. And then we're going to look at the surprise in this passage as well. But firstly, work is fraught and frustrated. Do you remember the, the beautiful picture of work God gave people to do in chapter 1? Have a look at it up here on the screen. At 1 verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. People are told here to fill the earth and rule over it. There is paradise for them to enjoy and rule over. And we can see there's kind of two elements to to people's work in this verse. There's the element of uh, filling the earth and multiplying, a work to be done in the home, and then there's a work to be done in the world of ruling over it. But both these elements of work are fraught and frustrated as a consequence of turning their back on God. Have a look at at verse 16 in chapter 3 with me. This is the judgment that God says to the woman about that work in the home. He says, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe, With painful labour, you will give birth to children. And this is no surprise for us, is it? We don't need to read the Bible to know that there is pain in childbearing. But actually, this verse is a little bit more nuanced than that. Literally, the word there for the painful labour is more closely related to anxiety or anguish and relating to the whole birth process. See, the whole, the way of multiplying and the birth process for women is becomes fraught with anxiety and risk as a consequence of turning it back on God. This anxiety could be related to to whether a woman will be able to conceive, and the anxiety of infertility. The anxiety could be related to the risks involved in falling pregnant, both to the woman and to the child. The risks of miscarriage. The anxiety could be related to, to children who are born, but there's this ongoing trauma to the mother and child related to birth or there could be anxiety just for women who long to have children but they're unable to because they don't have a husband you see this whole area of multiplying and filling the earth is full of risk and fraught with anxiety this is what has happened to the work in the home as a consequence of turning away from God and I wonder is this something some of you may have experienced? Has your family faced this fraught reality around the birth process? I think so often we can look around and and see babies being born and think it's simple, it's easy, it happens. But actually it's not. For many, the reality is it only fills them with anxiety, sadness and grief. This is a very real grief and pain that many of us have felt and maybe we will feel. 
I know for myself and Mel, we personally felt this grief over many years relating to having children. But it's important to say that this pain and anxiety is not how God intended life to be. When Adam and Eve turned their back on God, this work in the home became fraught and filled with anxiety. This is a consequence of living under the judgment of God. So work in the home is fraught, but work in the world is also frustrated. Look at verse 17 and what God says to the man. He says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you'll eat from it all the days of your life. Or verse 19, he says, By the sweat of your brow you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. This is a picture so opposite to chapter 2 where the, the trees were grown in abundance, where God made them grow and there was this beautiful river which watered them all and they flourished. That was the, the, the place where God put the man to work. A paradise. A picture of a paradise of yes. But here for the man, what's this picture of? It's more of a picture of a desert, isn't it? Where only thorns and thistles grow where his work is frustrated, where it's under God's curse. And I wonder, do do many of you experience this reality? The reality of work, the the moments when you get home from work and you just shake your head and you sigh because things didn't work out like you thought they would. Or maybe just that daily grind and hard slog. The frustration we feel in our work is, is also a consequence of us turning away from God. Work becomes fraught and frustrated. That's the first consequence we see when we turn away from God. And the second one we see is that relationships are broken. John Piper speaks about the corrupting power of sin on relationships. He says says this, it'll be up on the screen. He says, The essence of sin is self-reliance and self-exaltation. First to God and then to others. So, when we want to play God in our own lives, first we take God off the throne, but then that has a ripple effect as we want to exalt ourselves over and above others. And in relationships, there becomes this battle of the sexes happens. Have a look at verse 16 again, the second half there. It says, your desire, this is to the woman again, it says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And what's, what's this getting at? What's this verse saying? Well, there's a really helpful verse in chapter 4, verse 7, which is it's like a parallel verse where sin is crouching at Cain's door with its desire to dominate and rule over him. So here it's saying when, when sin has the upper hand in the woman's life, her desire is going to be to overpower or exploit man. And likewise, when sin has the upper hand in the man's life, he's going to respond in the same way by wanting to rule over and dominate her. So this relationship of to love and cherish which God had made becomes to desire and dominate each other. And we saw a hint of this even last week, didn't we, where when Adam and Eve had eaten of the fruit and they became naked and ashamed and they hide, God comes walking through the garden and he says, how do you know you're naked? Did you eat from the, the, the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And what does Adam do? The first thing he does, it was the woman you put here with me. As quick as a flash, 
We can, there's a hint that this relationship is not like it was meant to be. It's a far cry from Adam's song about Eve in chapter 2, where he was like, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, where he was reveling in that relationship. You see, God made man and woman equal and complementary. A relationship built on trust and, and mutual respect. A relationship where they were to serve one another. But when we want to play God of our own lives, relationships are broken. And I wonder, how do you see this play out in your relationships? Maybe for husbands and wives, the, the temptation for a wife might be to use her words and her wit to manipulate or demand things of her husband. Or maybe for the husband it might be to use his strength to, to dominate or to be controlling of his wife. You know, that's their generalizations, aren't they? But in your relationships it might not play out exactly like that. But whatever it looks like, our relationships are broken and we're all going to have a bent to exert ourselves above others. And we don't have to look too far to see evidence of this, do we, in society? We see this relationship breakdown. We see divorce rates are on the rise. We see domestic abuse is skyrocketing. But it's, it's not just out there, is it? It's here as well, within the church. And sadly, I think within the church, the Bible has been used by some to condone domination by men. Men have used scripture verses to, to justify their actions. And this is wrong and horrific. This is not what the Bible teaches. And this is not how God intended relationships to be. And I think, I think it's something that we as a church actually need to stop and, and speak honestly about for a moment right now. So if you're here this morning and you are in an abusive relationship, let me say to you, we want to help you. Talk to us. Or tell someone that you do trust. That is not something you should have to put up with. But also, if you're sitting here this morning and you are abusing your spouse or someone you know, abusing them physically, financially, emotionally, you need to stop and repent. You need to get help and stop doing this. So tell us, or tell someone you trust. But what about those even who are sitting here this morning? Maybe you're not married. How, how do you conduct yourselves in relationships? As a man, do you use your physical presence to intimidate women? Or do you use your, your words or your touch inappropriately to make women feel uncomfortable? Or maybe for the women here, do you use your emotion to, to manipulate and, and demand things of guys? This is tragic, isn't it? This is, this is how relationships are. They are broken as a consequence of turning our backs on God. It's because we've chosen to play God rather than to listen to him. And the third, the third consequence we see in this passage is that God, that God hands down is that death reigns. God had warned Adam and Eve about this. He'd said if they ate from the tree that they surely would die. But they didn't listen. And so we read in 3.19, we read words like this, for dust you are and to dust you will return. Or in, in verse 22, 
man must not be allowed to reach out and eat from the tree of life and live forever. Adam and Eve sought to be like God, but God draws a line and says, you will not be like me. You will die. And death is horrific, isn't it? It's an unwelcome intruder into our lives. And I wonder, have you come face to face with it recently? Have you experienced it? Have you had to go to the doctor or maybe even make a visit to the hospital? If you have, you'd be hit with the frailty of life and how life can be quickly snatched away. This week I was speaking with my neighbour whose dad just suddenly passed away and I spoke with him and tears are welling up in his eyes as death had robbed him of his dad. Richard Branson, the the founder of Virgin, when he was asked how he wants to be remembered, said, I don't want to be remembered, I want to be here. But he won't, will he? Death will reign. Physical death is horrific and sad. But the fundamental death and problem that we see in this passage is that we all face spiritual death a severing of the relationship with God, the one who made us, the one who wanted to be in relationship with us. We see this in verse 23 when God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden. They're sent away from him, sent away from him with no way back. The relationship with their creator who loves them is severed. They can't fix it and now they are under God's permanent judgment all because they chose to play God in their own lives. So as we look around at the world, everywhere we look, we can see this judgment of God. We can see the consequences in our work. We can see it in our relationships. And we can see it as death reigns over life. But also every day, we are living separated from God the one who made us to be in relationship with him, we are separated because of our sin. So God actually looks at us and sees us as his enemies, people who have turned away from him. So the question is, is there any hope? Well, there's one final surprise that should shock us. Amidst all this judgment, the surprise is that there is God's grace. Grace just means undeserved love. And we, we see this in, in verse 21 where God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. He covers over their nakedness and shame. Or we see it again in verse 14 and 15 where God hands down this judgment to the serpent, the one who had deceived Adam and Eve. Have a read me, with me verse 14. It says this. This is the judgment to the serpent. He says, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. That's a huge judgment on the snake, isn't it? Cursed above all the animals. It's got to, it's got to make you think, what does that say about a place like Australia? You know, Australia is full of snakes. Did you know like eight out of the ten most deadly snakes live in Australia? And actually even this week there was an article I read that this lady in Brisbane woke up with this two-metre-long python licking her face. That's, that's crazy, isn't it? No, like, 
more seriously, these, these verses aren't talking about the snakes in Australia or the judgment handed down on those animals, is it? But actually, these, these verses are talking about the judgment handed down to evil. Let's, let's read verse 15. It will give us a bit more clarity on this. It says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This verse talks about like an ongoing tussle that will happen between humanity and evil. But the last part of this verse is beautiful. It speaks of one from the woman's line who will one day crush evil. But it will be at a great cost to him as his heel will be struck. And this, this verse is speaking of Jesus. You see, God had a plan to defeat evil once and for all to defeat sin and to defeat death. And that was when Jesus came to die on the cross. We can read of this in passages like Colossians 2, which will come up. It says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So where is your hope today? Well, it's in Jesus, who on the cross and by rising again disarmed and defeated evil and death and sin for us. Who on the cross and by rising again cancelled the judgment that stood against us. You see, when God looked at us, he saw us as dead and facing his judgment with no way out. And this was the choice we all made when we turned our back on him. But then Jesus came into the world to offer us a lifeline so that if you put your trust in him, you're no longer under the judgment of God. You're no longer spiritually dead, but you can become alive in Christ. Do you know the problem of being spiritually dead? Well, it's that we can't do anything to fix it. We're under God's judgment. But Jesus has come to deal with that. So have you come to accept that grace of God, this undeserved love that Jesus holds out to you saying, I have died for you. I have died to free you from the consequences of your sin. The question is, will you choose to accept God's grace? This free gift held out to us. Choices have consequences, don't they? We've seen that these choices Adam and Eve made had dire consequences. But choosing to accept God's grace to us in Jesus has amazing consequences. So come to Jesus. Experience that life in him today. But I hear, you know, some of you might say, Paul, we we still face death. We still live in this broken and fractured world. Does Jesus really offer us hope? Well, I would say absolutely. Not only do we experience this grace of God every day as we walk around and we are back in relationship with God and not under his judgment anymore, but also we have a glorious future hope that when we die, we will actually live 
with Jesus. We will live with him forever, back in the paradise like we were meant to. When we die, we will no longer face the consequences of sin, but will be welcomed back into paradise with God. We had this read before, but I think it's a beautiful passage. I'm going to read it again uh, from Revelation 22. This is a picture of the glorious future that awaits all those who trust in Jesus. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in this city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. This is a picture of the heavenly city, a city much like the Garden of Eden. What's it like? We can see, we'll be able to see God face to face. And there will be no longer any curse. The consequences of sin will be gone. And it's striking that in this paradise of yes with God, there's not a single command of no. There's no exit clause out of this heavenly city. There's no way for us to be sent out of God's presence. One writer says about the the hope of heaven, he says that earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Do you believe that? Whatever the pain and the sorrow we face now, it will be done away with in heaven. We can trust God knowing that the future glory that awaits us will far outweigh what we endure for a little while now. So we should fix our eyes on Jesus and long for that day of that glorious future hope where we'll be with him forever. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we look around at the world and we can see what is wrong with it. We can see the consequences of our sin. But Father, we also know of your gracious love to us in Jesus, that by sending him into the world, he offers us a way back into relationship with you. He has paid the price by his blood so that we are no longer under your judgment. Father, we know he has secured a place for us in your eternal paradise. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus every day and the love and hope that he does hold out to us. Amen.